0: Hello. Welcome to Mind and Movement: The Podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Today's conversation is one that is deeply impactful to me and one that I share with my beloved friend Kwe V Tran. I started getting close to her in quarantine and we've had a lot of talks about anti-racism, anti-capitalism, and how to survive in these systems that are built to oppress us. We go very deep into what it means to be Asian American and a dancer, how capitalism robs us of our fullness of our identity by oversimplifying everything, what it means to truly support each other and center the most marginalized communities, and overall, just a very mind-blowing and life-changing conversation. Kwe Tran, pronouns she, her, is a member of the Political Education Committee in the Asian Solidarity Collective. As a queer Vietnamese woman from Westminster, California, who grew up in an immigrant household deeply impacted by the discussions of war and trauma, she aims to hold space for critical conversation about how mainstream media, culture, and language impact the ways in which our bodies move through the world. Drawing on a background in both biology and psychology, her personal mission is to center progress over perfection. I challenge us as Asian Americans to dismantle and decenter white supremacy in our communities while centering black, brown, and indigenous lives through difficult conversations, questions, and uplifting lived Experiences. As always, thank you so much for listening. And let's get right into the conversation. So I'm here with Kwe V Tran, and I met her during quarantine learning about activism and like hip-hop history and like why that's important. And she's just been a really great friend and a really great source of knowledge that I thought everybody should listen to and know um okay so let's start with how are you feeling today how are we doing
1: I am well first of all before I start I forgot to say happy birthday in person oh, so thank, just you. Happy birthday.
0: <laughs> thank you thank what you kind of I'm gonna true. upload this in like July and everyone's like when's your birthday yeah I know <laughs> no, it's May it's May 15th for those of you that don't know yeah Anyways. There's a little
1: bit of a retroactive editing. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I am tired. Um, Honestly, mm-hmm. I was up kind of late last night because I just, like, had anxiety. But you know what? It's fine. We're going to show up, and I'm going to accept that I am full in my messiness and anxiety and all that shit. So, yeah.
0: There's nothing wrong with anxiety. Yeah. Okay. So, tell us about your story and a little bit about your dance background.
1: My story? Oh, God. Where do I start? Well... So I am of Vietnamese descent. Both of my parents immigrated as refugees. So I am the only one in my family, as far as I know, um, who's born here. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because like, I, th- and I think we're going to get into this later when we talk about like, the Asian American identity and everything. But I grew up in Westminster, uh, which is like the little Saigon of California not that San Jose isn't but like like if you're in Southern California and you hear you hear little Saigon it's Westminster it's Garden Grove it's that like little chunk of area in Orange County um that just like everyone Vietnamese seems to come from or have family there but like I think I think it was good though because like I I had that dichotomy of like oh, I'm not truly Vietnamese, but I'm surrounded by these stories. I'm surrounded by like um, mm. people who carry that cultural background, right? And that's the same kind of um, heritage that I grew up around because a lot of my friends were Vietnamese. Like my town was pretty much like half Vietnamese, half Mexican, um, some white people, some black people. Um, but like by and large, I was like, I I never felt like I was lacking in being around people from my culture, um, mm-hmm. but I still definitely kind of had that like, oh, like, that experience but which I grew up with a lot of other kids that also had that experience was like oh yeah I'm Vietnamese but I'm not like Vietnamese right like I'm not Asian Asian I'm Asian American whatever that is yeah so that that kind of was like the starting point of like shaping my identity but like I was always surrounded by the stories of my family which I really appreciate so got a lot of stories about the war which were probably not kid appropriate but they they were my (laughs) bedtime stories. so you know what we're gonna go with it. Um, but a lot of stories about Vietnam, a lot of stories from my sister about like growing up um, and it's like even though it's this world away and it's just a story to me like I always felt very connected to that like, it it's like mm-hmm. this is where I come from these are my roots I think I was very lucky in that I never really had a question of what my heritage was right like I, I know what people are from my last name is one of the most common last names um, and <laughs> um, and I have people who who know my history so like even though like I still want to get past like talking to my parents and like understanding more of what my history is, but I still feel like I have the privilege to know almost exactly where I came from, right? Like, and that's Mm -hmm. something that not a lot of people can attest to. And I think it's something that helps me communicate with others. It's that because I'm rooted in that cultural identity and for the most part in who I am, it makes it that much easier for me to communicate with others. Um, So that I think is about roughly where I can go with where I come from. But in terms of my dance background, oh man, where do I even start? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to pinpoint an exact starting point. I'm like, I know when I got into dance, like physically, but my interest in dance started a lot earlier than that, if that makes sense. So, like, yeah, uh, when I was younger, my dad was like, I think this had to do a little bit with him not having a son, so like he tried out martial arts with me, and like we bonded over that. So movement has always been something that's appealed to me right like movement martial arts where and from martial arts like you obviously, like, we're surrounded by media, right, like, I love watching Jackie Chan movies as much as, like, Jackie Chan's also kind of problematic, but we can touch on that topic for another time, but, like, <laughs> like I, I'm, like, conflicted, right, because I'm, like, I don't want us to just be, like, martial artists on screen, like, as Asian Asian Americans, but, like, it's, like, I can't not watch and not admire the movement, right, yeah, um, and then from that, I think, I think that started morphing in middle school or, like, Yeah, beginning of middle school into like watching dance because I was around the time like ABDC um, started happening and ABDC, like I didn't get to watch it because I didn't have cable Um. coming up from like a poor kid's background, but like YouTube started getting really popular around the same time, right? And like back in the day, it was a lot easier for people to upload like, TV without getting copyright struck. So yep. like when people uploaded things or like um it was just online because I think MTV put it on their website for watching and you could actually yeah. watch the seasons of it. And I started watching ABDC and I'm like, wow, like there's there's people who look like me that are doing this sort of stuff. And like do I you remember
0: which team you saw? Quest crew. I too. <laughs> I think it Quest was crew was the shit. Like, I know, they were the shit. I
1: know. Oh my god. No, I love I loved Quest because they they had a sense of humor. Um, yeah and, and, and I think yeah. that's what I like is like I like people not taking themselves too seriously right mm-hmm. like I, I was like oh like this to me is probably the closest thing to an Asian American representation that I can identify with right like not too serious not too studious yeah. like, but like this is someone who is just me having fun with their craft and they happen to be really freaking good at it right <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah and I think it also helped that like How do I put this? So like ABDC back in the day, it wasn't so much about cleanliness, right? Like I felt like it was less about cleanliness. It was more about exploring. It was more like, what could you do to push the envelope of it? Obviously it's a TV show and it doesn't showcase like people who are necessarily part of the street culture as I understand it now. Right. But like, I liked that rawness about them back in the day. I was like, that's what I want to see more of is people being willing to explore and be creative and be artists. Even though at the time, like I didn't know that I really saw dance as an art or understood that type of dance as an art. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so from quest crew and then r- around the same time like k-pop happens starts getting really big the how you wave you know
0: <laughs> Yes. and
1: i was like i i hate to say it, but i like super got into it with super Me too. <laughs> like sorry sorry came
0: out and i was like sorry Sorry was the shit,
1: shit. <laughs> that is my shit and that happened to be the same year g came out same year merotic came out and i was just like i love this i love this yeah. so much we can set aside all the problems with sm for later also but like that's where i was like damn like I really like dance, I really feel something for it. And like, I didn't know it at the time, but I would start like, I'd start freestyling in the bathroom, right? When I was younger, like I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted, I wanted to move. Like there was something in me that really wanted to move. And I think my love for dance kind of tied in with the fact that a lot of things were happening in my family at the time, like um, my mom, has a nerve disorder called fibromyalgia uh and she also has a number of other like health issues and then my dad also had a lot of things going on like PTSD from being in the war um his own like health issues etc cetera, etc cetera. and then like <clears throat> my sister and I are kind of figuring out where we stand with each other at this point um because we grew up in an Asian household and the way like my parents love this very much I don't deny that but obviously like you can say you really de- uh, received a lot of love, but also say that the way you received it is not necessarily the way that you wanted it to be portrayed, right? And that's yeah. like, I can never say I didn't get love from my parents, but I can say that the way it was delivered was not necessarily the way that was most beneficial to me or my sister. Yes. Yeah, so like all of these things were things that were coming out in me, like freestyling in the bathroom for a couple minutes a day. <laughs> like, because I was staying up late at night, uh, like in high school at this point. I was just like, I just need to move. No one's up. Like, this is the time where I free- feel the most free. I feel the most myself. I never even put it named to it as being freestyle until today, to be honest. So we get into that. And then, like, towards the end of high school, um, I already knew I wanted to go to UCSD. And I think around August, I was like, okay, practically speaking, what do I wanna do when I get to college and not academic? And my brain says, I want to dance. I know these are teams that came from college campuses. I knew Kaba Modern came from Irvine, right? Like I knew Team Millennia came from Irvine. And, And I was like, if that happened at UCI, there has to be something similar at UCSD. So I, I literally Googled it and I said, UCSD dance teams. Right. And I got a couple of Facebook posts. I got like, I think some college board forums, even where people were like, Oh, if you're looking for like a beginner team, there's like, there's emotion, there's confusion. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are the two teams that I remember being on on that post. Yeah. um, Joined KF, but was on it for four years, was a choreographer for two out of those four years. Mm -hmm. And after KF uh joined Alter Ego, uh, at, also at UCSD for a little bit, and then went from Alter Ego onto Sin. So that has kind of been my history in the dance community. I've been like running around for the most part. Like, I think trying to figure out my identity in dance more than anything. Like, I think I used to think I was looking for a team, but I think that all along, I was really just looking for me.
0: Currently, I just, because I'm curious, do you still want to dance? Like, I, I, that's like a question on my mind. Like, where are you, where hmm. are you currently with dancing?
1: I think dance right now, for me, I don't even know where to start with it because I'm like, I could say it's a philosophy. I could say that it's spirituality. I could say that it's a curriculum, that it's a history, that it's a culture, right? And I think, like, I don't think any one of those words really really explains what it is to me right in this moment. It's just, strangely for me right now, I guess I would say, I would say dance right now is that friend I thought I knew, but we're in that season where we're getting to know each other again.
0: I think that like something that seems to be very uniquely Asian of us, um, or at least, you know, of our experiences is that feeling of like, we didn't go to college to like pursue our major. Like that was not our thing. Um, I feel like our major sense of, college at least for the my asian friends that i know of and also based on my 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 personal experiences and yours mm-hmm. it was like this is finally my moment of freedom like finally i can do yeah. whatever the hell i want no parents like oh like that's such a sense of relief and like for some reason just just to like build off of what you said for some reason i think like being able to watch like abdc and then like seeing that and then also knowing that these teams you know kind of established out of collegiate spaces it was like oh like I know that even in this like establishment my my freedom is within dance like that's like Mm -hmm. somehow an idea that it's like implanted into us um growing up and I guess like that is like one of the greatest like motivators of like this community um what is your take?
1: I like that a lot. I think you summed it up super well, especially given um, like like you were saying just now, right like it was a way for us to feel to to be more free like that that was the way we viewed college, right. But at the same time it's like, it's, it's really ironic, right, because we say, oh, we're going to college to be free, but we're just transferring, like, what kind of yeah. institution we're under, not to call our parents an institution, but that's, yeah. that's basically what happened, right? Like, we're moving from, from, one, um, from one place of discipline to another, but, yeah. but with that added layer of, like, oh, me going to this place... I'm still looking for a sense of freedom, right? Like, it's not that you weren't looking for a sense of freedom anymore when you were living at your parents' house, right? It's just that in your head, there wasn't a way to to attain it while you were there. Like, mm-hmm. the only way to attain it was to, was to leave there. And I don't know if it's the, the concept that the rules are different, if it's the concept that you're not being watched. Like, I, I don't know fully what it is. It could be all of those things and a bunch of other things too that we haven't talked yet about it, right? But I do think that there's there's a lot coming into that space right into college and also looking for freedom at the same time right like it's it's saying that we are looking for transformation we want changes in Mm. the circumstances that we are around and the people that we're around like something something in us was wise enough to say this environment right now does not serve me in the way that I want to be
0: yeah I feel like man there's just there's so much to talk about with this topic it's just like (laughs) Number 1 like I think like it's it's interesting that you like you said that like college was seen as like some some form of institution of freedom mm-hmm. when you think about like like for us as like Asian Americans right but then when you think about like how like black Americans just don't have that option to like even get into college or like escape escape their like circumstances or whatever you want to mm-hmm. say and like college is still a system that like perpetuates <laughs> racism (laughs) yeah exactly Um, yeah and it's just like really complex because it's like for us this dance community and college to some degree was some level of freedom but for other people it's not and I guess like I wanted to touch up on like the duality of like the collegiate scene being something that is very contributes to our sense of freedom or liberation but then also in that it also oppresses appropriates Mm -hmm. black culture because you know hip-hop came from black culture like can you elaborate on this concept or idea
1: yeah oh there's (laughs) like you said there's a lot to unpack here Yeah. yeah i think for us like it's interesting because i think part of it is that we see college education in general as liberation of a sorts, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. way that our parents tried to impress it on us is that um, for them, many of them came from immigrant backgrounds that weren't very stable, right? Either financially uh, with shelter, access to food, access to resources, right? So mm-hmm. to, to them to come here and to see a system that is similar enough to systems that they already knew, which is the meritocracy, right? And say this is this is the venue that you can exploit that will give you financial stability and i don't think it's that they were presenting it to us as liberation right they were presenting it to us as um this is how you don't go through through the same experiences that i went through this is my way of trying to protect you but in in that protection it becomes almost stifling right Uh, in the sense that you it's now a transactional system, right? Like it becomes, you have to do well in school because I want to protect you. You have to do well to earn the things, right? You have to do well because I put a roof over your head and I I didn't have a roof over my head when I was your age, right? And, like, I I know it comes from a place of love, but we can also name that that is, like, pretty toxic, right? Like, you start making it feel like you have to work to earn these things. Um, And when they do that, they start tying education into capitalism, where capitalism wants to exploit your bodies, your labor, your, like, capitalism doesn't give a shit about how you feel about freedom, right? Or your self-worth. It just wants you to operate. And if if you're the cog in the machine that falls out, it doesn't care. It's just going to replace you. Um, but like the way our parents saw is that, oh, if I, if I get education, where you wind up in capitalism, and I know this isn't the way that they're seeing it, right, but this is the way it turns out, uh, like logically is that, oh, if I can protect you, and it has to be in the system, I will ask you to give yourself the best shot possible, but the best shot possible from a financial standpoint doesn't necessarily speak to your emotional well-being, right, or to your spirit yeah. or to your, like, it doesn't ask for the fullness of you. It only asks for the parts of you that it thinks are worthy to yes. to supporting the system, right? And to our parents, yeah. that's education, to capitalism, that's our bodies, that's our labor. Yeah. And when you tie those things together, you get kids who are really anxious yeah. all the time, really <laughs> depressed all the time, yeah. constantly have imposter syndrome, right? um or either they have imposter syndrome or they have to develop this overinflated sense of ego right because we've also seen that other extreme because that is what allows you to survive you either you either just hate yourself or you love yourself so deeply that you have to look past all the faults
0: I feel like okay like I feel like there's a difference between like self-acceptance self-worth and then like your ego right Uh yeah yeah like i almost feel like your ego was like a defense mechanism that you built out of your parents not giving you an identity whatever that yeah. is like i don't yeah no i love that you bring that
1: up actually because like for uh, when you when you talk about ego right like for i Resonate very strongly with this concept, actually, because when I was a kid, I can straight up say I was a freaking asshole. Like, okay. Okay. like I I developed this sense of ego. I was one of those kids who developed a sense of ego and also simultaneously a sense of imposter syndrome because yeah, like you know right, like because I feel like, that yeah exactly right because I'm like I know I'm up there. I know I'm top ten of my class. I know that I I can. Like my grades are amazing. I can write great essays, et cetera, et cetera. And then some, somehow after all that, you still feel empty, right? Like you still feel yeah. like, did I really earn this? Is there, is that really me in there? But you don't talk about it at that age, right? Because you, one, we, uh, especially in our generation, we didn't have the languaging for that, right? Like you're yeah. kind of dancing around each other. I don't know if you had this experience, but like my class was very very competitive with each other, um, oh, and, like, pretty cutthroat, honestly, and I don't think anyone meant it maliciously, but when your teasing starts to go towards, like, oh, I'm gonna associate your grades with your character or your work ethic because this, you don't fit in the system, right, like, I, I straight up know that, like, <sighs> like not to ding because I know I had a lot of really good teachers but I also know there were rumors that the teachers talking about my class were saying that we were lazy we weren't as hardworking as the classes that um sandwiched us right and I I can look at my class and definitively say like a lot of us had a lot of issues going on like a lot of us had a lot of imposter syndrome and I think we were just the class that didn't like some of us did definitely like like i was definitely in a group of friends that were very competitive and very like oh like it's it's grades like if i don't have my grades up then like what else is there in life right but i i could see a bigger portion of my class than like i guess relative to other classes where like some of my friends were were not maybe like high achieving right and the teachers were frustrated over that they were like oh like you i know you're smart but you're not applying yourself right but then Let's think about that languaging because like applying what is applying yourself when you're in high school right like what yeah when you aren't given the resources to talk about problems um when your parents don't know that they are sometimes your problem and aren't going to accept it um when you feel like there's no one that understands you or yeah. worse like you have all of those and you also feel like other people have it worse so why am i complaining right you get all that piled together and you get a fucking train wreck of mental health issues in a high school class like
0: (laughs) I think um tying that together Mm -hmm. because I think like sometimes it's hard to almost like think of the concept that like you're like you can be you can have a big ego and also have imposter syndrome like Mm -hmm. that is not something that I knew um or like clearly until we just stated it yeah I think because like also tying into your point about how like capitalism kind of almost only defines you with like one trait right Mm -hmm, so it's like it's like I know that I am smart but I feel like I feel like if that trait is robbed away from me then Mm -hmm. like I have nothing and so I think that's like my my great ego about this one trait Mm -hmm. but then also like this trait not belonging to me and then being taken away from like my environment around me um so that makes sense yeah and then you feel bad because you're like capitalism doesn't teach you that your feelings matter so Mm -hmm. you're like oh should i even be feeling imposter syndrome over this when like when other people like can't even get into school or like yeah exactly you know, don't test as high as me mm-hmm. um and like I do ha- like also like I have like an inflated ego so like mm-hmm. doesn't that mean that like I'm a shitty person because I have a like inflated ego and it's like it's it's like so complicated because you yeah, wouldn't think, I think you wouldn't think that like having a big ego is kind of like a like a big like detriment uh, Yeah, detriment to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like the point to clarify is like, what is the difference between like, having a big ego and then genuinely having self-worth?
1: That's a good, that's a good question. Because I think, like, as you were talking about it right now, it's like, who would I automatically off the top of my head say has big ego, right? And I'm like, we can talk about frickin' number 45 over these past few years, for one. Yeah. Um, but, like, like if, I, if I go back to myself, right, because I can really only comment about my lived experience. When I was building up that ego, it was because I felt like these were the things that I actually had control over. I couldn't control what was going on in my family, I couldn't control what was going on with my friends, I couldn't control things that were bad that were happening in the world, right, so the only thing that I knew to make sense of, and the only thing that I could hold that was real, were these stupid freaking grades, like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and, like, and it's, it's also coming from years of it being drilled into me by my parents, right? Like, if you have a good education, you can work your way out of poverty. If you work your way out of poverty, like, anything can happen, right? But you have to get the grades first. If you don't get the grades first, you're screwed to begin with, no matter what you do. And that's the message that's sent to you, right? Um, So I think, I don't know, like, I think having a big ego, like, hmm, so you have to have some sense of ego, right? Is something that I've learned. If you don't have any sense of ego whatsoever, I don't think you have a a sense of self almost. Like, and I think I don't mean ego in the sense of like inflated ego. I mean ego as in like, what what is what are you confident in as a person? What do you Do you think? You? Yeah.
0: Just because because you said something about control, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think like having a big ego? has to do with trying to exert control externally but then like having self-worth is having control internally? Mm. Actually that's pretty
1: close I think that's pretty close to what I would say I think I would say that having I think the difference I would make is that having a big ego is to put up a show of having control there's a difference between having a show of having control versus having actual uh, I wouldn't say having actual control but having actual self-awareness right because
0: I think control self-awareness then (laughs) (laughs) I I I,
1: I think that's like where I'm gonna start like diverging the terms a little bit is that like having I think we see power as having control in general in this very capitalist society. Right. Um, okay. but I think, I think true power over the self is having self-awareness because if, if you know yourself, well, you can, you can name where your feelings are coming from. If you name where you're, if you're able to articulate where your feelings are coming from, um, you know, your triggers, you know, which situations benefit you, you know, where, um, what serves you better. And you are then more able to, funnel your circumstances that doesn't mean that you have control over everything that happens right like we all have bad days we all have overreactions um etc etc but I think knowing yourself is what gives you true power versus the the image of power that is big ego
0: yeah wait knowing yourself but also and also accepting yourself
1: yes because I
0: I knew myself for a long time But that didn't make me feel like I had control over my actions Mm. anyways. um, Yeah, Uh yeah, I actually kind of talk about this because I feel like it's it's like a good like words to use. But like it's from Amy Cuddy's presence. But she basically talks about like social power Uh and personal power. And I feel like ego is like having a lot of social power. Like you seem to have a lot of control, but you don't feel that power power not control Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but then like personal power is understanding yourself yeah Mm -hmm. but I feel like that's um a really hard concept to grasp because you sometimes can't even tell yourself like if this is Mm -hmm. building your ego or building your self-worth right yeah Mm -hmm.
1: no that's that's a really difficult line to tread and I think I feel like that's something that a lot of our generation are kind of grappling with right now yeah, um, where like we're we're not the ones, like we're not Gen X, right? We didn't grow up with a lot of these terms kind of like, like, and I know Gen X is defining a lot of these on TikTok and it's wonderful. Like I love people in <laughs> control of their language. I know people, I love people um, finding terms and naming things, right? But I yeah. think like we're kind of in that weird in-between generation where we didn't quite have all the terms to name everything that was happening to us. And we're kind of discovering that even now, right? Like we're still learning as we're going, um, as everyone is, but like, I think we understood that there was something not quite right right like we mm-hmm. there there was some shift somewhere around our generation where we started saying like I don't want to be treated like this I don't want to be seen like this I don't want to act like this but what is this right I don't know what this yeah is. like yeah. I don't know where it comes from in me and I don't have a name for it so what the fuck is this
0: yeah <laughs> like
1: how do you run away from something that you can't name right it's like I've said this to you before where it's like the shape of your fear like knowing the shape of your fear knowing the shape of the things that scare you it's like if I have a flashlight on behind this tiny little kitten right and it's like right uh, up next to it it'll look like there's a freaking 15 foot tall monster on the wall
0: yeah you have no idea
1: what it is it looks massive and you're just like that is too scary for me to confront so I'm just gonna run the fuck in the other direction versus like oh I see this kitten it's a kitten
0: and yeah. it's not that it's
1: small, but I know what it is, right? And it's still yeah. just as terrifying, but it's a little it's just a little bit less somehow because I know what it is, I can name it, and I know what what part of me it is, right? Because now I know the shape of it. I know where yeah. it is in my overall being.
0: Wait, I've been thinking about this um, in terms of just like social justice and like mm-hmm. activism as well. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. it's like if you've lived your whole life in like the dark, right? ignorance is bliss quote unquote Yeah, like that quote it's like yeah yeah, you might feel safer in the dark but then when you first like shine a flashlight on something I love that kitten analogy Um, (laughs) the first thing you're gonna see is not the kitten you're gonna see the the bigger like shadow looming Uh over you and you're like holy shit like my instinct is to run yeah and then and then like you take some time with that flashlight with that kitten Uh and then you're like wait Oh my god, you're so cute! Like, <laughs> and then you, and then like you start to get to know the kitten. And you're yeah, like, well, mm-hmm. like this kitten's cute, but it's also gonna like meow and scratch at me. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like the whole like living in the dark or like mm-hmm. ignorance is bliss quote like it's not true happiness. But like yeah. when you when you take that time of like actually understanding this is l- the world that you're living in, like the actual reality of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can see the not great sides and then you can see like the better sides right yeah 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 no, that's exactly. that's a really great analogy I love that <laughs> I appreciate that yeah no I think that's the that's one of the
1: like taglines I've been running with for a little I while now but I, wow. I love that you bring that up because I think um or you bring up tying in like ignorance is bliss because I guess to bring it back to like the the Asian American identity right like mm-hmm. um we don't often know how to confront things one because they they look a lot bigger than they are like and in the society we're not rewarded for thinking about the complexity of things we're rewarded for simplifying things we're rewarded for like can I turn this into a snappy headline like can I make this clickbait right or like can I can I summarize this in a concise manner and I'm like okay I, I understand that brevity is very important in communication but also like all of these things are because we have this construct of time in capitalism, right? Where you, it's, you have to get as much done as possible and mm-hmm. fuck complexity, right? Fuck nuance, yeah. fuck all that shit. When it's like, if you wanna have real conversations about racism, about cultural identity, about all of that, you have to sit down and have an actual complex look at it right like you have to accept that it's complex you have to accept that you're not going to be able to unpack it um and like truthfully i think that's an issue a lot of white people have is they they aren't taught to look at things in the uh, in or think about things from a complex manner uh, manner right like we're thinking oh um and like i know i said this about white people but in general like it's it's pervasive throughout society right yes like, mm-hmm. i see it as an aspect of white supremacy to to be more specific is yeah. like to to make something not complex. Like if you simplify something and you minimize it, and that includes feelings, right? That includes the fullness of a person. Um, Mm -hmm. When you do that, and you don't want to confront it, like that, that's how white supremacy takes hold, is that I just want things to be simple. I don't want to think about it, right? Uh, And I think when you start tying that aspect of like white supremacy into the Asian American identity, um, it, it kind of ties into how like, Or it, it, I think it gets doubly conflated with what our Asian parents tell us, like a lot of the ones that are, uh, that came from like wartime, right? Like if you ask them about it, they'll be like, or like if they see you crying or like having, being really emotional, right? Oftentimes their response will be like, oh, like just don't cry about it. What's crying going to solve, right? But I'm like, but I can't process it. I can't handle it unless I cry, right? I have to talk about it. I have to think about it. And they're like, but why talk about it? The matter is done. Uh, and that yeah. that conflates exactly with like that fear of complexity and white supremacy, right? Like white supremacy doesn't want you to delve into the complexities of things because um, d- taking the time to delve into that breeds understanding, and understanding is antithetical to white supremacy. Yeah. They don't want you to understand people. They don't want you to see other other people as people right yeah like, yeah
0: yeah I think like something that we've talked about is always that like white supremacy is really just like exploiting human we- weakness human flaws mm-hmm. in the sense that like our parents arguably wasn't like indoctrinated by like white supremacy in that mm-hmm. sense but like yeah. it was because of their fear of like war fear mm-hmm. of communism for my mom mm-hmm. um, and so on so forth and then like that fear, like manipulating that fear, is like a tactic that like people with power use. So in our case, white supremacist supremacists uh-huh. supremacy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when you're like in that fear, you know, our brains kind of return to that, like everything needs to be simple because all I need to know is yeah. that I need to run away from you. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And so like, yeah, like when we when we are in fear. And we fear, like, the unknown. I think that's, like, the other thing. It's, like, Mm -hmm. when we fear the unknown, it's just, like, I'm not going to understand you. I'm just going to run away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think, like, moving on just a little bit um, in terms of, like, complexity and simplicity. Mm -hmm. I think, like... (laughs) in what ways has our collegiate dancing kind of simplified the dancing that we do? Because
1: Mm. we've
0: definitely done it or like commodified, simplified, you get it.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I'm going to take the angle of commodified because I don't know if I can think of examples for simplified right now, but I've definitely thought a lot about the way that like the choreography dance community born from hip hop culture and dance, right? Has commodified all of this Uh, and I think I okay first off I just have to say that like literally nothing I've said on this podcast like right now or like up until now and moving forward nothing I've said is new it's like maybe what's new is the way I reframe it but everything I've ever learned has come from from black teachers indigenous teachers women in the community right Um, trans people non-binary people all of these things that I know now come from them they were the ones that taught me Um, to understand all these things so like Mm -hmm. through all these teachings and all these things that I've been reading about and like observing and listening to over the last like year or so like I think Mm -hmm. the way I would say that dance has been commodified um, I'm pretty sure it was Rennie Harris who said this in Munsell Durden's Intangible Roots lecture or his um, shoot it's his his documentary and i am forgetting the name i'm so sorry <laughs> but uh monsell Man- did a did a screening of his documentary and in it rennie harris says that one of the ways that white supremacy and then this ties into the collegiate dance community is that they made the dance mathematical they like basically stripped the soul from it because the way that um that uh, Europeans understood dance was like in eight counts, right, like you make it very mathematical, you break it down into these movements. And whereas like people who who birthed like what we know now as hip hop culture, right, when they were dancing, it was just feeling, it wasn't counting, mm. it wasn't to, to be, to have some kind of form or some kind of line, you would just feel, you would dance what you felt, you would do your best to translate how you were actually feeling in, onto your body, right? Um, yeah. but, but then when people came in that, um, that weren't from this community, the, they started to make it very mathematical. They started to make it m- methodical. It's like, Oh, like what, what counts can I go on? Right? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, the moment you start doing that, you start making mathematical, you start quantifying something that isn't quantifiable to begin with. And that actually bled into collegiate dance. I think, um, I don't really know how I can make the direct lineage there like how they lead into each other but I think if I look at it in a certain way it's like knowing that the SoCal collegiate dance community is largely and predominantly Asian American right like we bring in a certain need for perfection where you bring in and that comes from our backgrounds right of being the model minority and also like wanting to please our parents with our grades and stuff right it's like whatever you do you have to be the best at it Mm -hmm. But how do you define the best when it's not something quantifiable? Well, let's talk about cleanliness, right? Like, uh, I can't quantify how people are, like, expressing their feeling, right? But I can give points for how in line your team is with each other, how in unison you are with each other, right? Like, I I think it's probably more drawing from that competition culture that burst from that mathematical approach that Rennie Harris was talking about, right? Is that competition culture existed before the collegiate scene where, like, you you would get points for form, choreography, et cetera, et cetera, and obviously this isn't coming from my research history, because I don't know as much about the history of the collegiate dance community as a lot of other people, like, clearly Arnell, for one, uh, know, right? <laughs> like, even you and Amy know more than uh, I do, I think, about that, but when you start bringing in score sheets, when you start giving points to things, that... That means you are starting to boil down something into something that is commodifiable, right? Because now you have these pieces that you can bring along and shove into some model, and I mean, it'll work, but does it really have the soul of what made it dance?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's hard because, like, on one hand, because I'm, a, you know, I'm also like a scientist, and like, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of science is just like trying to physically represent an idea or a concept, right? Yeah, yeah. And really no, um, I know like me and Carla have talked about this, but it's like yeah. no amount of anything mm-hmm. can physically represent anything you're talking about. Yeah. I can, like if, if my brain just didn't have like emotional processing, mm-hmm. you can explain to me as much as you can about mm-hmm. like what it feels like to be angry. Yeah. I will never know. Like yeah. I will never mm-hmm. know. And I think yeah. like white supremacy and yeah. like the mm-hmm. collegiate scene, Because they're not from that, you know, black culture, Mm -hmm. whether or not it was intentional, like, Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, I I think there were people that were just like solely trying to like commodify dance. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's that extra, like, complex layer of like, I'm trying to understand your culture Mm -hmm. by giving it numbers. Even yeah. though it's like really fucked up, like yeah. mm-hmm. I can I can see that line of reasoning, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like, what else? How else are you gonna? Yeah. Cause like, if if I think about like a competition, like, mm-hmm. like if we're just watching a set, right? Yeah. And not and we don't get to see like the process of the team. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How are we going to know that you actually? study it up on the art forms that you're using that like you trained in like Mm -hmm. fundamentals and technique like you can't really tell just based off of that one performance right
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and then so it's like because I can't tell the thing that's like on the surface level seems to be how clean your lines are yeah (sighs) right yeah no
1: I absolutely agree with that and I think um oh there was I, I liked what you said about like trying to understand by assigning numbers to it. And yeah. something about that made me think like, oh, if yeah. we if we go back to talking about like the collegiate choreo dance community being largely Asian American and how we're trying to like portray hip hop culture, because that's, that's really what it is, right? It's a portrayal. I wouldn't say that we are hip hop culture. Um, I do think we should learn about it, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But I think by trying to emulate it, how can you emulate something, like you said, if you've never had that experience to begin with, right? And I think that's that's something that makes it inherently commodifiable.
0: Yeah. Um, in
1: that, like, when the Black and Puerto Rican community that developed, like, hip-hop in the heart of Bronx, right? Like, in Harlem and, like, the other projects in New York, right? They were dancing because they that, that was how they found joy. Like, that was it. That was, that was how they could find their moments of joy in a system that was actively trying to unhouse them, actively trying to suppress them, trying to erase them, right? Versus like the way Asian Americans get into college. And this comes back to the, what we were saying earlier, like college to us represented like liberation, but not in the yeah. academic sense, right? Yeah. I think we, we come in and we are also seeking liberation, but it's not from the same thing. We're not seeking liberation, from being oppressed necessarily or in a different sort of oppression right mm-hmm. we're, we're seeking liberation from from the boxes that we were put into versus seeking joy which I think those are two very
0: seeking validation um I don't know about validation because or because because I feel like the the, the concept that's been yeah. like in mm-hmm. my mind is yeah. like. Mm-hmm. We had to be validated as children for the, or not all of us, Mm -hmm. but like a large majority of us had to be validated as children Mm -hmm. to know that we are Mm self-worth, we are worthy. Like, I think, I think like, that's like, for me, yeah. Mm -hmm. this is kind of based in science, not really, but like, it's like a prerequisite to like having self-worth, like your environment Mm -hmm. gave you that validation and then you became, you're like, oh, wait, I actually don't need it anymore
1: yeah mm-hmm. and then like
0: but then for us at least for for me mm-hmm. yeah it was like I never received validation that I want in in the way that I thought was meaningful mm-hmm. yeah. and I thought that like me going to college was gonna give me that validation which didn't always give me yeah <laughs> self-worth which is like the other thing it's like okay I guess validation doesn't necessarily equate self-worth either Yeah. mm -hmm. um this is all really complex but (laughs) (laughs) um but but it was like that that idea like Mm -hmm. liberation quote for me was just to be validated Mm -hmm. by more people that's what I at the time yeah that's what Mm -hmm. I thought my sense of liberation was
1: yeah no, that makes Sweet. sense actually. No, I, I appreciate that you put it that way more. It's like what, our our concepts of what it means to be free are different, and yeah. that's what what changes the approach in the SoCal um, choreo community versus like how hip hop culture started. Right, for the for the roots of hip hop culture, um, the sense of freedom was just finding joy, or ideas of what it meant to be free are different from like the sense of freedom that started hip hop culture. I think, which was just mm-hmm. like what is joy what is the joy in movement right like versus us coming in and our we we don't know what our sense of freedom is right like we just know that there's something about this movement that draws us
0: yeah yeah i think i also don't oh, first of all a disclaimer like i'm not trying to like generalize every single asian person here like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like obviously there are definitely people who do the dancing for like freedom of joy and like expression and i think that's something that as we are mm-hmm. Uh, reflecting upon this year that we're slowly starting to all oh not all but like yeah. majority mm-hmm. of us probably have that like this is like my sense of joy and expression yeah but this is like prior COVID okay like yeah. if I if I'm like trying to dissect myself and like yeah even the people that I knew mm-hmm. um, prior COVID this was like our observations okay yeah. that's a disclaimer because yeah. I didn't want to be like y'all like y'all yeah. are fucking fake anyways yeah. <laughs> no you're good actually I like a part of me
1: like wants to redact, like, the last, like, five, ten minutes of what I said, not because it was wrong, but now that I think about it, there's a better way to put it in that, like, I think in both communities, everyone is seeking joy, but I think the issue in the collegiate community is because it's inherently, like, a, to- a competition-based scene, that, that's when it got, like, uh, gets commodified, right, like, I think everyone who comes into dance is seeking that joy of movement, is seeking that sense of freedom that you mm. get when you're moving, right, but then it's, like, I think go uh, I and I think to your point this is what you were saying about validation right but it's like okay I have that sense of freedom what do I do with it right <laughs> on the on the Asian American side it's like oh like I need a validation of my happiness
0: <laughs> yeah I think it's yeah I think it's that yeah joy yeah commodified
1: yeah 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 no that's there we go yeah we landed on it it just took like 10-15 minutes to get there <laughs>
0: that makes sense yeah I'm gonna have to re-listen back to this because this is all really mind-blowing to me no you're good you're um, good yeah Okay,
1: But yeah, if I was going to rephrase that whole thing, it's that I think anyone who enters the pursuit of dance is looking for joy and freedom, but the way that we were taught to seek validation doesn't match up with that, right? Like, we weren't taught that validation comes from from happiness. We were taught that validation comes from these quantifiable things, these quantifiable things that are like jobs, competition, scores, grades, right? Like... (laughs) like what how many degrees you have what's the level of degree that you have right and that that because that doesn't that doesn't exist in dance of that form but we see it as in like what teams you get on right like there are different tiers of teams unofficially right like any team can be a competition team but there's like known competition teams right that that make it to the stage and those somehow get tiered out and when you go uh, or when I say you but like I I can't speak to it because I have not really had this experience of like hopping from team to team as like a, a milestone right and that's not to ding anyone that sees it that way it's just that wasn't my experience I tried it for a little bit and I think just the way I view dance doesn't work in this climate if that makes sense like I because I I told you earlier I see dance as like being with my friends right my my, team, yeah. my friends aren't on all my teams I want to be friends with people in general regardless of your dance level and knowing that like like the way I pursue dance isn't at a I guess level that is competitive enough to keep me in the scene sort of deal if that makes sense yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I think like tying that just like capitalism as a whole Mm -hmm. yeah that like capitalism uses fear to like control you right Mm -hmm. in a sense but then like with joy it like commodifies it and so it's like all you know is being fearful and this like fake idea of joy Mm -hmm. Yeah. because I keep thinking about it I'm like there is such thing as like real joy there is such thing as wholesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) positivity right like like a healthy amount of positivity and not just toxic positivity yeah Mm -hmm. But it's, like, yeah, I feel like our systems have, like, built this idea that's, like, you either have this amount of fear Mm -hmm. and your only solution is our product Mm -hmm. of joy and not just, like, your actual feelings.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And then that makes sense even in, like, a dance collegiate scene where it's, like, Mm -hmm. the only reason you should be happy is if you place Like number one or you know if you if you place at top three you you can't be happy if you're just dancing like yeah the fuck is that it's not competitive you know yeah exactly okay I think like the thing that maybe sometimes we have a hard time understanding um, is even when it comes to like the talk about like canceling student debt and it's like yeah that's not like the best solution Um and it might only be like a short-term solution but there's a lot of people who are like I don't understand why their debt has to, uh, gets to be canceled and like I had to work hard and like pay off my own debt and I think that's that's coming from a very like the other thing about capitalism like very like scarcity mindset kind of way yeah but even with like canceling student debt something that's like helpful is like hey if you really think about it you're gonna have this amount of money in the economy like mm-hmm. it's it's literally gonna help everybody even though it doesn't seem like it's gonna help everybody in the first like couple of whatever yeah amount mm-hmm. of time right yeah um so i guess like to tie that in it's like what is we are not free until all of us are free
1: oh man i'm trying to figure out how to tie this in because this concept just embodies a lot to me um i think
0: or like even the way that we like approach dance like
1: yeah so we are not free until all of us are free i'm having a little bit of trouble like tying it back to the to the metaphor of like canceling student debt a little bit for me so i'll go from from where I understand it from, which is being in these, um, these grassroots spaces that I've been lucky enough to, to share space in for like the last year, right? And mm-hmm. I think we are not free until all of us are free for me means that bluntly put, I think Asian liberation is tied to, directly to black liberation. Like there's no question about that whatsoever. And mm-hmm. I, I do not consider myself free until one day a black person can just live their life walk through the street, run, sleep in their own beds without fear of getting shot, right? Like until that happens, my my sense of freedom is a falsity entirely. Um, I know that's a really strong statement. I'm going to stand behind it though and explain it a little bit more. Basically when I, not when I say it, but this, this is a phrase that's come a long way from before me and you, right? Um, I think, so it's difficult. One of the things that I notice in the Asian American community is that there often tends to be oppression Olympics when we start talking about um, about issues that impact us, right? And I think this starts actually to tie it back a little bit to the cancel college student debt um, concept that you just mentioned earlier in that-
0: What is oppression Olympics?
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, oppression Olympics is when you start, basically like what, what things, or aspects of your identity are you oppressed by? And you start like quantifying that, right? Like you're like, oh, like, let's say I, let's go with myself, right? I'm, I am cis, so I am not oppressed because I am uh, in the sense that I'm not trans, but mm-hmm. I am female. Uh, and a lot of society right now operates, uh, off, operates off of a patriarchy. So I'm oppressed in that sense. And then mm-hmm. I start using that and I'm like, I'm also Asian, I'm also queer. And I'm like, I d- take that and I point to someone else and I go, I'm more oppressed than you because I can name off these identities, right? And that, that's w- the kind of thing that starts tying into Oppression Olympics is like, I am more oppressed than you. And you also say, or you try to say that this type of oppression that you experience is weighted more than someone else. And I, I just think that whenever you pull the oppression Olympics card where you're like, oh, but this is a more important issue, that that goes back to the concept we were talking about earlier in that you ignore complexity when you talk about that, right? Like in organizing something that I very much resonate with is that you want your people who are the most impacted to be leading the solutions you want people who are the most marginalized because the people that are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution I think it's it might seem ironic right because then you're saying well if they're the most marginalized then aren't they the most oppressed because of their identities I'm like yes but like I'm not saying that I mm-hmm. have to be in the race right now right because I'm not saying that if they win or like here's where the Olympic part comes in I'm not if they win to me I also win Right. I, I always yeah. win when they win versus if they win, I don't win. Right. Like, and that's the way people see it is that yes, uh, like a lot of Asian Americans will see Black Lives Matter and be like, but what about AAPI hate? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I'm not saying AAPI hate isn't important. I'm not sa- I'm saying that if we fight for the Black community, we also win a lot of things that help them help us because there are brown Asians, there are Black Asians, right? Their communities mm-hmm. are tied together. And whether or not they are, we are all human. Right. We are all Mm -hmm. human. And while it is easier to empathize with people from a similar background, because we keep touting that we're like we're smarter than other animals. Right. Then I'm asking you to be smarter about your empathy. I'm asking you to have empathy for people that don't look like you, that don't live the way you do because they are human. Right. So that's for me is where we are not free until all of us are free comes from is that if I protect someone in my community who is say like a trans black woman right she protecting her getting her everything that she needs all of her resources there's no way I don't benefit from that because she is protected right and like and how can I not feel more protected when my entire community is
0: protected yeah
1: yeah I wish there was a better way to put it, but that's, like,
0: that's where I am right now. That was perfect. (laughs) That was worded very well. Holy crap. I don't even, I have no follow-up to that. That was just, I'm going (laughs) to just leave that there because, like, I think people Mm -hmm. just need to hear it.
1: Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And, I like, also when I say most marginalized, like, I don't want to tokenize people ever, right? Yeah. But I want, there's a difference between tokenizing someone and giving them agency right? And I I want someone in a leadership position so that I can give them agency. I don't want them in a leadership position so I can point at them and be like, you're my puppet now, right? Like, that's fucked up. No, you want people in leadership positions representing um, your most marginalized uh, populations because they know what resources they need. They will be the ones most effective to show their community how they can gain power, right? Mm. Self-power, self-worth, resources that allow them to do that and like I, I can I can sit up in my privilege ivory tower and be like, oh, I think that should go there and that fixes that. But I was never in that position to begin with. How do I know? This is theoretical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think um from like an outside perspective, you can always call everything like tokenism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like what what I think what we're saying is that like what makes it different is like what do you do when that person is in that position of power like exactly. are you still yeah. telling them what to do or are you genuinely <laughs> listening to them because yeah. if you're actually listening to them I mean it's it's gonna look like it's tokenization mm-hmm. in, the, yeah. in the in the face of like social media or like you yeah. know outside mm-hmm. media whatever but like you know you know that you're actually making change um in your organization team community whatever you want to call yeah. it yeah mm-hmm. and that's like the hard the hard thing that like the complexity of it that is not shared um, on social media okay Um, I think like you know because I do want to end it on like a more like change forward a little bit of a solution driven Mm -hmm. note one small doable thing that you could see the collegiate dance team dancing or our current choreography dance community implementing that seems that should be relatively easy to do yeah mm-hmm.
1: uh this was a hard one
0: <laughs> yeah that was a hard one for
1: yeah me so. this is a really hard one for me Sorry, partly because like I'm I'm a little bit out of touch now with the collegiate scene in in general and also like I said like I'm I'm learning how to be friends with dance again right like in this yeah. season of my life but I think if I were to go back Oh, man, even the small things feel so big, you know, like, I, like, I, I, yeah, like, because, oh.
0: because it takes you, I mean, because, like, it's that, that's that whole, like, we can't just give you a checklist to do it.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. But
0: it's like, okay, like, if you if you actually did that one thing, like, intentionally, yeah, yeah. like, what is it?
1: If you were to do one thing intentionally, like, I, it's a small thing. And it's also a huge thing. But and it's, it's really just ask questions it's ask questions and ask them, like, uh, okay, so we actually have a framework for for critique um, in Asian Solidarity Collective, uh, where okay. where I'm currently based, which is, like, so when I ask questions, I don't mean, like, ask any question, right? Like, there's <laughs> and I'm like, I'm also not talking about tone policing. I don't want to tone police anyone, but there's questions that are clearly asked like very passive aggressively, right? Or what the intent to undermine or what the intent to, to basically point out like, oh, this was such a ridiculous decision. Why would you do it, right? Like I'm not talking about snark or sarcasm or anything about that. I mean, ask questions that will allow you to gain some knowledge. Right. Like, and I think, uh, I think to tie that into the bigger picture, like less about the dance community, but just people in general, right? Like the, the systems of white supremacy and capitalism tied together don't really withstand questioning right? Like, they they don't want you to question the structure because, like, there's stability and no questions being asked right now, right? Like, the system will just continue to be perpetuated and never change if you never ask questions, right? I don't think any change can start without asking questions to begin with, right? Like, ask, why do we do things this way? Ask, why is our organization structured this way? Ask, why... like what are what are the types of leaders that you want to see in this organization and then once you ask those questions right you can actually start formulating blueprints you can start formulating plans um to actually change things but if you never ask the question to begin with like where's the seed for change going to come from
0: yes question the norm Okay, I'm going to end it right there. Um, we have yeah. some rapid fire questions. Yes. <laughs> what is a courageous moment where you felt anxious but chose to act in the face of your anxiety?
1: Oh, so this one I actually had an answer for really quickly when I read it. and Because <laughs> it's it's so difficult for me to want to speak up in the face of my anxiety, right? Like I'm actually one of those people where if my anxiety or my anger is, uh, is at a high enough level, I just go nonverbal. And that's something that I only recently realized. It was just like the, in the face of my rage or the face of my uncertainty, it's so big that I can't get words out past that. But the one moment that, that I was able to before I got into more practice of doing it, was um, there was a, there was a day on my one of my teams and like this is this isn't to say anyone was being deliberately malicious or anything like that but i forget what it was we were doing in practice but it was like it, it may or may not have been heels but it might have been more like a like a like style right like more mask or fem but people were we're just like exclusively using the terms male, female, he, him, she, her. And like, I, it, I don't know how it got to this point, but we went around the circle at the end because there was always like, basically like, what did you learn from today? Um, and I could sense tension around me, but also within me, right? Like I, mm-hmm. like, I think I was like, there's something that's not being addressed here and I don't know how to put it, but I think when it gets to me, I'm just going to say it. Like, whatever happens, happens. So I got to me, and I think, like, it kind of just, like, exploded out of me, but I just said, everyone has masculine and feminine energy, and no one should feel like they should have to conform to society to be themselves. And, like, I got it out of me, and just, like, just as I was processing the sense of relief that I managed to get anything out at all, I saw a couple of my teammates jump up and start screaming approval, right? And I was, I'm very emotional about that moment still. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because, like, No, that's great. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, like breaking the pluralistic ignorance.
1: Yeah, exactly. And And like like I said, no one wants to speak up. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think anyone was being deliberately malicious, but like I didn't realize that me saying that would make others feel seen. And that that was that was what happened. So like I'm really proud of that particular moment for myself.
0: (laughs) As you should. Okay. What is one small thing or like a small practice that you can't live without? fan fiction i can't go without reading fan fiction i'm such a nerd (laughs) thank you okay something that you had to unlearn this past year
1: something i had to unlearn this past year i had an answer but i feel like this answer always morphs when i think about it because i just had to unlearn so much this past year i think the biggest thing i can point to though is that i've had to unlearn Um, critique as an indictment of myself because that's always how I viewed it was that whenever someone gave me a criticism it was a criticism of my entire being Mm. but that's not correct right like I can't develop as a person if I think criticism is of my whole being I have to realize that critique is for that particular action that I did right Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's helped me learn to love myself a little bit more now that I realize that critique is not it's, it's not that I'm an evil person but what I did in that moment hurt someone
0: yeah yeah That's great. Okay. One piece of advice that you absolutely did not like, you were like, that's so stupid. I can't believe you gave, you gave that to me as advice.
1: Oh my God. Anything that's toxic positivity. Anytime someone's like, you can just like, just be happy. Just don't think about it. Just don't do it. I'm like, if I could do that, don't you think I would have
0: done it by now? Yeah. Like, (laughs) That's very upsetting. Yeah. And then one piece of advice that you've received that you felt like, Whoa! Like I have a new, like, different worldview of like either myself or like you know the world.
1: One piece of advice. Oh God. I think it's honestly find joy. Like as as simple as that is, and I think it's something that people forget about activism, right? Like and advocacy mm. is that like in this space, a lot of people burn out. Like I have only really been at it for like about a year, and I'm like I there's so much emotional labor, and there's a reason that they call it hard work. Because it's hard work and it's also from the heart, um, but you like you can't sustain yourself if you also don't find happiness for yourself. And I think it's just hard to to remember that you deserve that, right? Like you you should be able to find joy without feeling guilty, because that joy is going to sustain you while you're working. Um, but that's that's a what, really- what
0: is concept. what is joy? The fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. What is joy? What like, what is your joy? Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A big, big, big fat thank you to Quade for being on this podcast and also for being my friend. Honestly speaking, this podcast could have went on for like three hours and we still wouldn't have ran out of things to talk about. I am so blessed to be able to talk to somebody like this. And she's really somebody who has really opened up my eyes about how the world functions And how to find joy even when the world is on fire. So thank you so much, Quay, for allowing me to give myself permission to rest and to find joy and to be your friend. And thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week.